0: Welcome to Ramblings with a Medical Historian. I'm your host, Nicole Curry, and this is the podcast where I ramble on about the history of medicine, such as fun facts, common misconceptions, and strange practices. I may even talk about other historical topics, such as local history. This is episode 6. Continuing with and building off the topic from the last episode, I will be talking about the men who developed anatomy during the Renaissance and Reformation period in Europe. I don't know if I explained it in the last episode or not, but just for reference, an autopsy is a post-mortem exam through dissection to find the cause of death or extent of a death. And a dissection is cutting into a body or plant, etc., to understand and examine the internal structures. Also, anatomy is a study of the body's structures, and physiology is the study of their function. During the 16th and 17th centuries, many great men emerged, such as Martin Luther, John Calvin, Michelangelo, Da Vinci, Galileo, Copernicus, Vesalius, and Harvey. During this time, these men and many others were making changes to various areas. In religion you had Luther and Calvin, in art you had Michelangelo and Da Vinci, in science you had Galileo and Copernicus, and in anatomy you had Vesalius and Harvey. As I said in the last episode, artists like Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci were beginning to study anatomy and practice dissections to improve their art. As well, physicians were continuing to study anatomy and were making several new discoveries. Two anatomists who made the biggest discoveries in anatomy during the 16th and 17th centuries were Vesalius and Harvey. So let us begin by looking at the artists. Art was changing in the Renaissance. Art changed from the two-dimensional depictions that everyone recognizes from the Middle Ages to a more realistic style. This was a revival of the ancient Greek and Roman art. The new objective was to create as realistic of art as possible. To do this, the artists had to understand the human body, how it flows, and especially the muscles that stick out from beneath the skin. During the Renaissance, an enthusiasm for dissections began for artists. Some artists attended dissections in universities or at anatomy theatres, while others began to perform their own dissections. The artists who performed dissections became known as artist-anatomists. Two of the greatest artist-anatomists were da Vinci and Michelangelo. Michelangelo, like many other artist-anatomists, such as Donatello, Verrocchio, and Raphael, studied anatomy to improve their art. Michelangelo performed dissections, however these were more external dissections focusing more so on the muscles. These artists were looking to study the muscles so they could depict the form and movement of the muscles as accurately as possible so that the people they created with their art looked as realistic as possible. Da Vinci, on the other hand, started off somewhat the same way, looking to perform dissections to improve his art. But he continued to study anatomy and perform dissections in order to display the human body in its entirety in his anatomical drawings. Da Vinci studied the works of Galen to understand anatomy and physiology. He studied the various systems in the body, aiming to better illustrate the body and to revive anatomy as a science. He studied the body and described how to illustrate it as well. He said, you will first have these bones sawn lengthwise and then across, so that one can see where the bones are thick or thin, then represent them whole and disjoined, as here above, but from four aspects in order that one can understand their true shape, then proceed to clothe them by degrees with their nerves, veins, and muscles. Da Vinci also studied the respiratory system, the heart and vessels, and the kidneys and ureters. He wanted his drawings to be so real and lifelike they could be used to gain a complete knowledge of the subject. He strove to create as realistic anatomical drawings as possible because he believed the illustrations will give a true knowledge of their shape that neither the ancient writers nor the moderns would ever have been able to give without an immense tiresome and confused amount of writing and time. So he wanted physicians, artists, and medical students to be able to use these texts in place of having to dissect a corpse as they were in short supply and it was quicker and easier to reference the text. Raphael studied the works of Leonardo and Michelangelo when he began to study anatomy. Artist-anatomists began to fade away by the end of the 16th century. Artists continued to help anatomists illustrate their texts. they weren't doing the dissections themselves as much. They were helping the anatomists like Vesalius and Harvey in illustrating their anatomical texts. There is a famous portrait of Vesalius holding a dissected arm in his De Humani Corpus Fabrica Libri Septum from 1543. In Vesalius' text, the artist also made an elaborate illustration of the skeletal system and the muscular system. In Harvey's text, Exercitatio Anatomica de Mortu Cordis from 1628, there is an illustration of Harvey's experiment on the circulation and venous valves that is one of the most famous illustrations associated with Harvey. Famous artists like Rembrandt also depicted dissections. Rembrandt did an oil painting of Tulpe, which has become one of the most famous pictures of a doctor at work. It is a depiction of an anatomy lesson titled, The Anatomy Lesson of Dr. Nicholas Tulp, 1632 artists anatomists of the early 1500s were changing art with their study of anatomy as well as changing anatomy with their art da vinci created anatomical drawings that could be a teaching tool for anatomists Other artist anatomists were aiding the medical anatomists by illustrating their texts. Some artists began by redrawing manuscript images. However, when artists started to study anatomy and even perform their own dissections, they were able to create their own anatomical illustrations, creating a bridge between art and anatomy. Now let us look at Andreas Vesalius, born 1514, died 1564. He studied medicine in Paris under Jacques Sylvius. Sylvius was a great admirer of Galen. He accepted the works of Galen without question. When questioned on the discrepancies between Galen's work and real corpses that they were dissecting, he would reply that humans had obviously changed in the last 1400 years. Vesalius, on the other hand, also an admirer of Galen, discovered the errors made by Galen and began to address them. Vesalius traveled to Padua, where he taught human anatomy. He was a dissector, demonstrator, and lecturer. Vesalius continued with his dissections, studying the human body. He began to realize that Galen's work contained several errors. He attributed this to the fact that Galen never performed human dissections. Instead, he extrapolated his findings in animal dissections onto people. Vesalius respected and appreciated Galen and did not want to tear down his work, merely correct it as Galen had frequently corrected himself. Here is a quote from Vesalius. I have in no wise set out to reprimand the false doctrines of Galen, easily the chief of professors of dissection, and much less would I wish to be considered disloyal and too little respectful of the authority toward that author of all good things right at the beginning of my work. Vesalius began to compile his work in his text De Humani. Corpus Fabrica Libri Septem, also known as the Fabrica. He published his text in 1543 against the advice of his friends. His friends were concerned because he was addressing the errors of Galen, who was extremely popular and revered at this time. They thought he would get a lot of hate from people who were too attached to Galen and his work. Vesalius in his text highlighted over 200 errors made by Galen and once it was published he began to face immediate criticism. Many or most anatomists were great admirers of Galen like Silvius. They saw Vesalius's work as sacrilege. Silvius headed the crusade against Vesalius. Galen's ideas so dominated medical thinking for 1,300 years that the new observations in human anatomy, contrary to them, were rejected and sometimes severely condemned. The reaction was so severe that Vesalius left Padua and became physician to Emperor Charles V. Vesalius' text contained chapters on the skeleton, the muscles, the vascular system, the nervous system, the abdominal viscera, the thoracic viscera, the brain, and the dissection of living animals. Vasilius was trying to show the body in a more accurate and thorough detail. Vasilius said that the dissection of the dead teaches the number, position, and shapes of each part, and most accurately, the number and composition of its material substance, and that dissections of living animals demonstrate the function and the reason for the organ. Dissections on the living are called vivisection. This is what surgery is. But what they were doing to study the function on a living subject is horrible because they are cutting into the person to perform experiments and examinations rather than going in like a surgeon to repair something. In his dissections on the living, he examined the use of the ligaments, muscles, nerves in the muscles, veins, and arteries, and movement of the lung. Vesalius's work was important for mainly two reasons. The first reason was that his work challenged the old Galenic theories and awoke an interest in anatomy and making new anatomical discoveries. It was even said that his text, The Fabrica, was the foundation of modern medicine. The second reason for the importance of Vesalius's work was the collaboration between anatomists and artist anatomists. In 1543, his Fabrica was published. This text contained 716 pages and 278 anatomical images. It was said with some speculation that the artist was John Stephen Calcare, who was a pupil of Titan. All the images in the text were reproduced using woodcuts. The front piece of Vesalius's text is a beautiful illustration of an anatomy lesson he is giving. Vesalius worked closely with the artist to make sure the images related to the text with cross reference symbols in the margins to the images. The fabrica was large and expensive for the average student and physician. Therefore, Vesalius created a smaller text, the Sororum de Humani Corpus Fabrica Liberorum, also known as the Epitome with 9 images and 11 pages of text. Vesalius published a revised edition of the Fabrica in 1555. Other anatomists had consulted artists to help illustrate their texts. However, none achieved the success of Vesalius, with images that related to the text and his organizational skills. Vesalius sparked a new interest in anatomy, and a new relationship between art and anatomy with his controversial text. For as many anatomists set Vesalius enraged with his work, he inspired just as many. A student of Vesalius, Rialdus Columbus, did not agree with Vesalius, but in his pursuit to oppose Vesalius, led to a greater pursuit of anatomy. And this is what Vesalius was really trying to achieve this pursuit of knowledge. There were several anatomists that followed in the 1500s leading into the 1600s. Gabriel Fallopio discovered the Fallopian tubes, the aqueduct of Fallopius and several other structures. There was also there was also Bartolomeo Eustatio who discovered the Eustachian tubes. Leonardo Botalo, who discovered the ductus botali. So you can see here, this is where a lot of the body structures got their names. There was also Hieronymus Fabricus Ab Aquapendente, better known as Fabricius. And I hope I'm saying all these names right. Fabricius himself did not achieve much fame, but he is known because of his famous student, William Harvey. William Harvey, born 1578, died 1657, achieved his fame with the discovery of the circulatory system, which is still being commemorated 400 years later. Harvey completed his studies in Padua under Fabricius. Fabricius discovered the valves of the veins in 1574 However, he did not understand their purpose. Harvey became the physician of King James I in 1618, then King Charles I. Charles allowed him to continue his research at court. Harvey formed the hypothesis that the blood moved in a circular movement throughout the body. Harvey was by no means the first to examine the circulatory system. The ancient Greeks believed that the veins contained the blood that ebbed and flowed and that the arteries were full of air. Galen discovered that the arteries also contained blood. However, he believed that blood was formed in the liver and traveled throughout the body via the veins. He said that the heart played no role in blood circulation. He believed the venous blood nourished and that the arterial blood carried a vital spirit. Between the time of Galen and Vesalius, anatomy took a pause. With Vesalius's revival of the science, anatomists began to slowly study the circulatory system, like Fabricius and his discovery of the venous valves. In 1628, after years of experimentation, Harvey published the Exercitatio anatomica de mortu cordis et sanguinis in animalibus, also called De motu cordis, in which he proved that the blood circulated through the arteries and veins, returning to the heart. Harvey knew he had to perform dissections to discover the motion and use of the heart, specifically dissections on the living. He wanted to discover for himself, not read the discovery of others. He performed frequent dissections on various living animals to collect as many observations as he could. He examined the motion of the heart and arteries in his dissection on living animals, as well as the actions and function of the heart, the passage of blood from the vena cava to the arteries, the pulmonary circulation of blood, etc. Harvey's work was important for two reasons. The first reason being his crucial discovery of the circulatory system, which is the foundation of modern cardiology. The second reason is Harvey's experimental and observational approach that laid the groundwork for modern research. For the first time, quantitative measures are introduced to prove a point. His discovery was the start of physiology. Anatomy is the study of the body and its structures whereas physiology was the study of the function of the body as I said in the beginning of the episode. In Harvey's experiments he was looking at the function of the heart as a pump for the circulatory system and the route the blood took through the heart and the body. These even It is even more remarkable to think that all these discoveries were being made without the microscope. Perhaps if Harvey had had a microscope, he would have been able to discover the capillaries as well, which were later found by Malpighi. I think that's how you say the name. Harvey was also the first to apply mathematics to biology. Also in his text, there are several images of his experiments, not dissections. So to sum up, the field of anatomy was ripe with change during the 16th and 17th century. The changes began with artist-anatomists who, while trying to improve their art, also improved anatomical art. Leonardo da Vinci went above and beyond to create anatomical drawings that could better and more easily describe the subject than the cumbersome words of anatomists. In other words, if the drawings could perform their descriptive role, the text would be free of their traditional descriptive rules. Other artists-anatomists, like John Calcare, worked closely with anatomists like Andreas Vesalius to create more realistic and detailed illustrations for anatomy texts. Vesalius was one of the first anatomists to see the importance of having realistic anatomical illustrations that corresponded with the texts. Vesalius also helped to revive anatomy by drawing it away from the old, outdated teachings of Galen. This sparked a revival and interest in anatomy, and the 16th century became full of anatomists. Some say the 16th century was the century of anatomy. William Harvey in the 17th century made one of the biggest and influential discoveries to medicine when he discovered and examined the circulatory system. In his exploration of the circulatory system, Harvey inadvertently developed the science of physiology that is now always the companion of anatomy. For to know the function, you must also know the structure, and vice versa. Both Vesalius and Harvey made contributions to anatomy that helped advance the field. So that is it for this episode. Stay tuned for the next episode where I will be starting a new series. So if you would like to learn more about that... Stay tuned to keep up to date with me you can follow me on instagram and facebook at ramblings with a medical historian and twitter at ramblings underscore MH. i am hardly ever on twitter i don't really know how to use it Um, I am most active on Instagram, so you can easily contact me there. Or you can shoot me an email at ramblings.mh at gmail.com. So thank you for listening. And remember, keep rambling on.